Welcome back to another episode of Authentic Influence. I'm your host, Adam Connor. On today's show, we turn to the nerds. I'm sure you've heard that phrase recently, and we're going to talk to the brand behind it. First off, if you're new to this show, welcome to our community. This is a show all about how some of the most interesting or innovative brands out there today are mobilizing their masses to become more authentic and messaging through the voice of the consumer. And today, I'm on with NerdWallet, and specifically their chief marketing officer, Kelly Galise. Kelly's had a long career of working within internet companies and has now jumped into personal finance with NerdWallet. As the chief marketing nerd, I suppose, she's helping everybody get better financial education about what to do with regard to investing, loans, banking, credit cards, all that. I'm sure you've even used NerdWallet for advice on the next product to buy. I certainly have with regard to my credit card, and I mentioned that on the show too. But I thought it was really interesting, not only her insights about the industry and about what makes internet companies great, but also her anticipations on what shifts will come to marketing generally in the next couple of years. She touches on things like privacy and data and big social, all things that we, of course, on the show are interested in. And then at the end, give some great advice on how to become more authentic if you're marketing your own brand. So I can't wait to have her share all of this with you right now. And so I'll step back. Without further ado, this is our featured guest for today from NerdWallet, Kelly Galise. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. Today, we turn to the nerds. In fact, we're turning to the chief nerd. We're here with Kelly Galise from NerdWallet. Kelly, thank you so much for joining the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Adam. I am uh, really interested to uh, learn about a little bit more about this community, about the brand that you are building, just because in the world of financials, it seems to be, well, from an outsider's perspective, I don't know about outsider's perspective, but from a consumer's perspective, seems like a lot more communal of a brand than something like a typical bank would be. So I want to dive into that, what that means uh, for how you market NerdWallet. And I want to ask about what NerdWallet is, just for folks who have maybe seen it in passing but don't participate with it actively. So I'll get to all that in a second. I want to start with you, because you have been with the organization for a little while now, for about a year and a half, or maybe a little, no, a little longer than a year and a half. And I just want to learn about your journey to to there. How, how did they, how do they rope you in and what keeps you excited about it? Yeah. Um, so I, I started off, I'll, I'll take maybe a step back to sort of how I got into marketing to begin with. So I, oh. I was originally uh, an economist for the federal government, which is <laughs> like very far from marketing as a career. Um, and uh-huh. I, this was in the almost 2000s and I was in the Bay Area working for the Department of Labor and all of my friends from Berkeley uh, we're doing these really crazy jobs in the internet. And there were all these companies uh, spinning up like Google and Ask Jeeves and Yahoo and trying to hire lots of people. And they said to me, Kelly, you're you're really smart and you've done a lot of, um, I was a physics major originally before I switched to economics. And they're like, you have, you have a very like quantitative brain and uh, we think you could, you could have a job here and it would be a lot more fun. And I was like, you know what? I think you're right. And so I sort of started working for internet companies uh, and I ended up working in search engine marketing. Um, and I really loved it because it was a fit for me from a, the perspective of having kind of a very right brain, quantitative economics, modeling, kind of forecasting viewpoint. And my left brain, where I also had an English degree and could write copy and um, thought about, you know, um, 
the kinds of messages we could be giving and the kinds of stories we could be telling to people around the value propositions of our company. And I just really liked it as a discipline and was pretty good at it. And so I sort of worked my way up through digital marketing and ended up expanding into other parts of marketing. And uh, really from there, just ended up doing brand and all sorts of different disciplines. So I'd been doing uh, that kind of work for about 20 years um, when NerdWallet approached me. And I was working at a smaller ed tech company uh, that was in the process of being acquired by Chegg. Um, it was the third internet acquisition I'd been through. Um, so I was at Hotwire when they were acquired by uh, Interactive Corp. I was at a company called Viator for many years in the tourism activity space that was acquired by TripAdvisor. And I worked at TripAdvisor for some time. And then uh, this ed tech company now. And what really attracted me about NerdWallet was um, the size of the company and the scope of it. I really enjoy kind of a mid-sized internet company. Like I'm not a big company person. Um, I like being at a, at a smaller place. And they were kind of the right size. They were um, very, and still are, very mission-driven and focused on consumers and how can we help demystify personal finance for consumers. And it's something that's very... Um, scary to some people. It's something, if it's not scary to you, you just don't want to deal with sometimes. Uh, no one wakes up and is like, I'm excited to manage my finances. <laughs> like, yeah, it's right. like a thing people yeah. have to do, right? Um, and so I think, uh, and it's very confusing to a lot of people. Um, you know, there's a lot of fine print. You don't know if like something is a good product or not a good product. It's very hard to compare. It's hard to understand what you should do in some cases. Um, and this company was really working on demystifying that for everyone and has an amazing content team of uh, over 80 nerds that work on content and um, on our house views and how to make smart money moves and educating people about that. And um, I really liked the mission and the vision really resonated with me. I personally need to work for a company where I feel like it's a net good um, for the world. And I've worked at companies in travel because I think travel's a net good. Um, I've worked in education because I think education is really important. It would be hard for me to work at a company where I didn't think it was having a really positive impact. And so I really felt like NerdWallet's mission and vision resonated with me in that regard. And I, and I was excited about sort of the size and stage of the company and what I could do for them. I thought it was a good intersection of, of my skills and abilities and where they wanted to go as a company. And I just thought there's a lot of potential here. And I think they're doing a great thing. Well, that is always a good uh, mentality to have. You want to go after a company that does good or work for an organization that that provides a, a great a great value and thinks beyond itself. And I'll say, from my personal experience with NerdWallet, it's been great, though I think a little bit limited because mostly, uh, and I'm not sure what the majority of folks who come in and see what NerdWallet's all about do, but. I went there to find out what I was going to do for my next credit card, right? I wanted to figure out yep. what I wanted from my best rewards or what sort of bank I should go with or what sort of um, co-brand I wanted to get. Now, could you explain for the people and maybe for me too, because it's much more than just credit cards, what the spectrum of what NerdWallet brings as part of that broader value is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when we think about it at the highest level, we think about NerdWallet as being a place that can answer all your money questions. Um, no matter what those are. And sometimes that in your case, you're, you're outlining where your money question is really about a particular product, which is what credit card should I get that's going to give me the rewards that are valuable to me. Sometimes people's money questions are, what does the extension of the tax deadline mean for me? Or how do I invest? 
Like, I don't really understand that. Um, it seems like something I should do, but I don't know how to do that. Um, what is the best high yield savings account? I have money in a high yield savings account. I don't think I have the best rate. Like, how do I understand that better and maybe get a better high yield savings account? So there's just this whole variety and spectrum of questions around money that people have. And some of them are directly around shopping for a financial service or a product, and some of them aren't. And we think about our broad brand promise and our products and services being able to really answer anyone's money question. And for anyone to be able to manage every aspect of their finances or get answers around every aspect of their finances on Nerd Wallet. So at a broad level, that's how we think about it. Now, some of those things directly make us money and some of them don't, and that's fine. Um, that is the things that don't are in line with our consumer mission and vision. And it's really important to us that as a brand, we build that equity and trust with consumers that we've got their back and that we are going to give them the best advice that it is possible to get, as opposed to we're gonna give them the advice that makes us money. Um, and you'll see on several of our products and services, you know, if you're looking at, say, student loans, for example, on NerdWallet, um, we have a comparison page for private student loans because some people need private student loans and we want people to be educated about which are the best ones to get. However, it is much better for you as a consumer to get a federal student loan and not a private one first because it's much cheaper and it's just better for you long run. So at the top of that page, we actually say to folks, hey, you should get a federal student loan <laughs> before you look at anything on this page. That is just better for you from a financial perspective. Um, we do a similar thing on our life insurance page where we one of the first questions we ask is, do you have any dependents that, uh, that depend on your income? If you answer no, we say, you probably don't need life insurance. Um, as the answer to that. If you say yes, then we say, okay, then you probably do. And here's like a marketplace where you can compare those things. But to us, the first thing is to help consumers arrive at the best financial advice and guidance for them. And the second thing then is to then fulfill, okay, how can we do that um, in a way that's helpful for them and maybe links to one of our marketplaces. But the first thing is our brand needs to be very true to leaning into consumer first advice and building that trust. Got it. And then, so you're providing all of this uh, incredible advice to education, really, which I have personally seen as a theme uh, within any financial organization. Listeners, you may remember that this was a huge topic of interest and information when we were on with Goldman Sachs in December and their Marcus product. But Kelly, what you and the team are doing in providing both options that benefit NerdWallet as a business, as well as those that don't necessarily benefit from a bottom line perspective, is really important. Because if I go and I apply for a card through a link that you have, awesome. But if I also go and get that federal student loan and I don't do that through NerdWallet, all the better for me. If I take that and extrapolate it to what I'm sure are millions of people who are getting better advice and potentially getting new products through the recommendations and expertise that you provide, I'm curious as to how you, the brand, is able to capture some of those stories and, and, and talk about that and amplify their experience as to market nerd wallet through the voice of the masses. And we talk about that a lot on this show, so I think this is where we could sprinkle it in. How are you able to take advantage of some of that? Because, I mean, whether people are socially loud about it or not, those stories exist. And I'm sure it's a great boon 
to be able to harness them. Yeah, um, it's it's an interesting one because in some ways I think we we do this well, and in other ways I think it's a big opportunity for us still. Um, and so the way I think we do it well is we harness those stories as we hear them from social listening or through our user operations team who are great about elevating those voices. We have a Slack channel called um, User Voices where they'll post um, all this feedback for all, all of our nerds to read. Um, we do a great job of elevating them internally and rallying people around the mission and the vision of the company and the good we're doing for consumers and really understanding that um, that feedback from them uh, internally at the company. What we don't really do today is turn that into direct um, kind of net promoter type marketing messages out, out from our consumers. You know, a bit in social um, where we're really elevating and celebrating those stories a little bit, but not in any sort of um, careful and thought through campaign kind of way. And what we've chosen to do instead right now, and you know, this could change in the future, is to really in our brand campaigns elevate kind of the unspoken money questions people have that we have heard through these social listening um, tracking that we do, or we've heard through these the user ops uh, feedback or what our content team has heard from the stories people are engaging with. We've taken those questions and really elevated them into, into the brand ad to sort of give voice to the questions that are in our heads around consumer finance. So, you know, am I supposed to be investing? Why isn't my credit score going up? Should I put this on my card and get the points? <laughs> like all these questions, should I take a lift or should I take the bus? You know, these things that we are thinking about um, internally all the time, uh, as we're making financial, small financial decisions or big ones, we're, we're, we've sort of chosen to take those very authentic feeling questions or real, real questions from our, our users and elevate those in the marketing. That's good. I, I love that you have both the internal channels um, and just that, that social listening aspect. Again, that, that's also something that I've heard a lot about recently. Um, especially since right now uh, folks are very loud <laughs> socially yeah. and with their friends and the recommendations are being taken very seriously uh, given current circumstances. So I want to know a little bit about where you see that marketing is changing or could change over the next few years. And, and maybe in asking this question about shifts and trends and what you anticipate down the line, I wonder if, and you said there's an opportunity for NerdWallet in this, if there are any shifts you anticipate in bringing that consumer voice more to the forefront, what does that mean tactically or will it change strategically? So while I have a certain color uh, of opinion as to what it may be, I'm curious as to your opinion on what you foresee in the next couple of years will become particularly important within marketing. And, and we can stay within finance or we don't have to, but I'm just curious mm -hmm. as to your thoughts there. Yeah, um, I think it's it's always it's always interesting. Marketing is always changing a lot and evolving over time. And having worked in digital marketing for a long time before I expanded out into brand, that's an area that's always rapidly changing, um, and you have to really stay on top of the latest and greatest. And I think I think about issues around um, tracking and privacy and data 
quite a lot. Uh, that's at the forefront of a lot of discussions, particularly with companies like Google and Facebook, who everyone does a lot of marketing with, around how do you provide very good, very targeted, useful, and relevant marketing to people without stepping over those lines of, of privacy and um, being careful about data. And that's particularly important in personal finance as you think about um, wanting to be compliant and and fair and consumer first. You know, we don't want to do things like discriminate against people who live in certain zip codes or don't have the right credit scores. You know, we don't we don't want to make those kind of mistakes as a company. Um, and we want to be really consumer first about all of that. So, you know, I think a lot about how do we run really great digital programs with really good tracking around those programs. But again, that is appropriate to how we think about consumer first privacy. So I think those are issues a lot of companies are dealing with to different degrees, depending on how much tracking and personalization and remarketing, all that kind of stuff that they do. Um, but I think that's a, that's a big one. And I think too, around the, the role of the CMO and what do they do um, at companies. And, you know, I think back in the day, if you were a Mad Men fan, you know, they were working on big brand campaigns and it was pretty straightforward. But, you know, today in, in the world of internet companies and digital companies, a CMO's responsibilities can really vary quite a lot. Um, and, you know, we're looking at market research, we're looking at a lot more technology programs, um, design, UX, and there's a lot of skills that CMOs need to be proficient in. Um, and, it, you know, they're often the champions for diversity within the company and having diverse voices and showing diversity in the ads um, and inclusion within companies. And CMOs are really brand ambassadors who get involved in a lot of decisions, even internal ones, because it's like, how does this reflect on our brand? Are we staying true to what our brand is as a company? And that just touches so many aspects of a company's culture that um, you can get pulled into a lot of those conversations. And so I think um, there's a whole spectrum of things now that sort of fall in marketing. And that's, you know, as marketing's evolved over the years, and particularly with the internet, I think that's really different from where things were before. Definitely. So skills continue to change, the roles continue to change. Um, so that that's really interesting and just how brands are thinking about this. And it's on that note that I want to ask uh, for your for your advice now, because <laughs> you see a little bit of what you anticipate the trends to be. You have been, and particularly within tech and internet, several organizations that have done it so well that they've been subject to large transactions at the hands of larger players, and, and, and people are always interested in stories like that. But this show has an audience of mainly marketers, a good deal of the CMO community, but also folks who are either managing their own business all the way up to Fortune 500 marketers who are just learning on how to become a little bit more, and I'm going to use that A word because that's what the show is all about, authentic with their <laughs> consumers. So generally how to get closer to them, how to get more direct, how to build better relationships, how to build more value, things like that. It's rather broad, but I ask every guest that I have what their advice might be to those folks who are just thinking about how to do it. And so given your expertise, as well as what you've said here on the show, and what you anticipate going forward, what sort of advice would you give to those people who are just looking to get started down the path? Yeah, I think um, the advice I often give when I'm talking to, to people, you know, aspiring CMOs or other CMOs when we're getting together to talk, it's around not getting comfortable. Um, I think a lot, it can be very easy to sort of not take risk and to 
uh, fall into a routine, things that are safe, things that are backed by really proven results. And to a certain degree, it's really it's really good to grow on your wins and successes and sort of play to your strengths and where you're doing well. I'm, I'm definitely not advocating people stop doing that. Um, but I also think a lot of companies and particularly very entrepreneurial ones where people want to see big growth, um, it's not going to help you get to your mission and vision very quickly to just keep incrementing on what you're doing. You have to take some bigger risks to, uh, to achieve that. And I, I really try to think about doing that in a smart way. Can you hypothesize and do a smaller test and learn something from that that will help you do a larger test? So maybe it's not jumping out of the gate to spend $20 million on a national brand campaign, but running a national brand campaign for a couple million dollars in one city, like alone, and figuring out what did it do in that geography? And if I extrapolate that out, then do I get comfortable around what that could do for my business on the whole? And is it worth doing and gonna have the kind of impact I wanna see? Just something we did at NerdWallet before we went and ran our national brand campaign. And I also try to think about it from the perspective of what's the cost if we don't take these risks? Um, sort of the, the economic side of me thinks about the opportunity cost. Like we sort of stay where we are and we increment. If we take the risk, what's the worst case scenario that's going to happen? And what's the probability of that happening? And if the worst case scenario is, well, we lose some money, we're okay as a company. And actually, because we tested it, it's probably not that probable. It's even going to be that bad. That's not so bad, right? And we should probably go take the risk and see what it can do for us. And it could really accelerate our business. And think about the big picture here around you know what's what's going to happen if we don't take this action what does it say about our culture um, are we just going to be comfortable incrementers versus people who can take calculated strategic risks as a company and that's the kind of company we want to be and so i think a lot of companies can find themselves in this situation where they're a little bit risk averse and and or teams get comfortable at a certain size right you're a large company like the gap or someone like that like you, you pretty comfortable operations how do you continue to grow and push teams to um, to take risk and to try new things and to really innovate if you're in those situations right i like what you're saying about taking that risk and i've heard that a little bit amongst folks and, and people tend to bucket that alongside what you may describe as more, was it comfortable incrementer? That was a really cool phrase. I got stuck on that for a minute. Was that what you said? Comfortable? Was it comfortable incrementers? Yeah. Comfortable incrementers. <laughs> I think about that a lot. I, 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 have, I have never heard that phrase and really, really enjoy it. Thanks. <laughs> um, I'm going to say that a little bit more now. Well, because I think you know, it's, it's, Go it's ahead. interesting at, at working in digital at internet companies, you know, it's a really efficient way to start to grow your business and not very risky, right? SEM or other very trackable media, you really can see, okay, real time feedback about how it's doing. I can spend very profitably and you'll just sort of build your company that way and maybe layer on CRM or other kind of low cost things onto it. And then um, I, I see a lot of internet companies kind of peter out because they're not willing to take the risk in expanding into brand or television or something less trackable and easy to increment on. And you have to, at some point, start to grow your category and build demand. You only get, you know, search can only be as big as what people search for. And so I think it's easy to be the comfortable incrementer up to a point. And then you see a lot of businesses kind of peter out after, you know, three, five years, whatever. And they can't, sort of expand beyond that. And so I think if you don't take these other risks, you can only ever get so big. 
exactly. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a great insight. And this was before, and you see it in some industries, this idea of zero-based budgeting where, um, now granted, it's not exactly the same as what you're saying, but the alternative is that relatively risk and some might say thought-free, comfortable incrementing of things. And mm-hmm. uh, you're right, it'll, it, you'll walk up the mountain slowly and then eventually you'll get tired and start to walk back down. Um, so that's just, that was a really cool way of thinking about it. I appreciate that. Uh, and, and for everything that you've mentioned on, on NerdWallet here, um, I, uh, I'm, I'm about to be, I'll tell you what, I'm about to be in the market for another card, but, um, <laughs> now that I know that it's more than just that, and of course I knew a little bit about it before, but thanks to you saying it on this show, I'll go look for it. Folks, uh, obviously, um, you have undoubtedly heard of these folks, but if you're looking for things, obviously use NerdWallet because they will give you the advice, whether it helps them or not, as yeah. Kelly has uh, so thoughtfully stated here. Um, but for everything that you've provided on the show today, Kelly, I can't thank you enough for coming on and thanks for being here. Oh, thank you for having me, Adam. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much to Kelly Galise from Nerd Wallet for joining the podcast today. You know, I said that I've used it in the past to look for credit cards. Well, I actually did. I took about a half hour or an hour after we recorded and I searched through it again. I think I found some new tidbits. So outside of all your advice and insight, thank you very much for that. If you liked this show, here's what you can do to stay in touch. Really just one thing, head over to LinkedIn, Authentic Influence Podcast. That is the content hub, more or less, for the show, other than our website, of course, podcast.pavoom.co. But on the LinkedIn page, you'll see all sorts of things with regards to new releases, clips, other thought leadership articles, events as they become available. Of course, as you all know, with current circumstances, not too many events are happening right now. But just as an FYI, they will be coming down the pike. So be sure to follow that page to make sure you don't miss a thing. And also subscribe if you listen to this via Spotify or iTunes or anything like that. If you like it particularly well, you can leave a rating and review on those platforms too. What I'm proud to say is over the last couple of shows, we've consistently ranked within the top 100 in the U.S. in the marketing category, which I think is great. And it's a testament to you constant listeners who are always engaged and who are always leaving great feedback. So thank you for continuing to do it. And I hope to see more of it down the line. I'll be back again real soon with another story about a fantastic brand and how they are mobilizing their masses and using the voice of their consumer to become more authentic. And until then, I've been your host, Adam Connor, and you'll hear from me again next time.